you're getting a full diet of gray hair this morning. <laughs> we, we, we've, uh, you, you got the two, uh, the two, as Ann would say, you've seen the two silver foxes on staff of fellowship this morning. <laughs> but this That's is what my wife would my say. My silver fox. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, so if you're here, if you're visiting this morning for the first time, we're so glad you're here. If you're watching online, my name is Larry Kayser, and this is my bride of 42 years, Anne, and uh, I'm the marriage pastor on staff here and also get a chance to serve as an elder. And I'm so grateful to be part of that team as well. So we are in week four of our series about building gospel-centered marriages and relationships. And last week, we centered around the idea of forgiveness and repentance and how central that is to any healthy relationships. And we sort of launched from Ephesians 4.32 that says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. You remember how it ends? As Just as God in Christ has forgiven, us. has forgiven us. And we talked, we asked the question, so how has God forgiven us? Well, we who deserve God's wrath received God's love. We who deserve God's punishment received God's forgiveness. So our assignment in our marriages and in our relationships is to humbly, gently, lovingly mirror that forgiveness, that grace to those we are in relationship in our life. And we said last week that God asked us to forgive because we are never more like him than when we're walking into that portion of our life in Christ. So this morning, we're gonna move on to a, a, new, a new topic this morning. And we're gonna talk about the synergy between trust and emotional intimacy in our relationships. And Ann and I are gonna begin this morning with a little bit of a fun way to demonstrate to you some of the ways that we are profoundly emotionally different. Now, we have another version of this that just talks about how different we are, period, and that is anywhere from four to eight pages long. Yes, does this that morning, encourage any of you? Yeah, we're just gonna focus on things that really impact our emotional realities between right. us. So. It all began right from the beginning because I was born a boy. And I was born a girl. I'm an extrovert. And I'm a mild introvert. I don't really like being with strangers. And I love a room full of meeting new people. I cry easily. I only cry when watching the movie Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> I can do several things at one time. I like to do one thing at a time. I can maintain focus. I'm easily distracted. I'm a risk taker. I prefer safety. I tend to underreact. And I tend to overreact. I, don't <laughs> That's okay. I feel my way through life. You feel your way through life. I do. I think my way through life. <laughs> yes. I like to just sort of make statements. And I ask questions. I won't, no, no, you do it. <laughs> I long to be understood. I kind of want to be right. Yeah, that's, that's true. I see today. I see tomorrow. And I like pajamas. I like nothing on either one of us, and that has nothing to do with our emotional health. I just threw that in there. And why he has to share that, I don't know. <laughs> okay. 
You know, just a couple of things about that. Oh, dear. Not, not the last, not the pajama part. <laughs> that. Dear. But, you know, the, the feel yes. and think part. You know, we talk about that feeler, thinker thing a lot, but, but here's what that actually means. When Anne walks through life, whatever happens, whatever, resp- whatever happens to her life or world are first filtered through the way she feels things. Yes. That's the very first way she responds to all of life. I, on the other hand, no matter what happens to me, the first thing that filters in my mind is my brain, like my thoughts. And so just that difference has caused us to have so many moments of misunderstanding and disagreement just simply by the way that we respond to stuff that might happen to us. True. So I just, I want to encourage you that we're not the same as we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have grown. Like you do not have to be stuck your whole married life. So with that in mind, take a look with you to grab those handouts. And you'll notice that on the handouts this time too, I'll just call this to your attention, there are some um, resources on the back of that. And there's a few books that we love and recommend very highly and some podcasts as well. Next week, you're gonna get Lloyd and Lindsay Castleman who runs our counseling center. And they're gonna be here to answer some specific questions around some of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks. And you're also gonna get a little more information next week on just some of the resources that we have, that you have at your disposal here at Fellowship. So take a look at that uh, handout and look at the quote on the top. A healthy life-giving relationship is not something that you find, it's something that you make. Mm. And you have to keep on making it. Just as importantly, you can also begin remaking it Mm. at any stage. I just hope you feel, I hope you feel the hope in that statement. Again, we are not the same even as we were five years ago. We can, we can continue to make it every year of our life together. Yeah. So let's take a look at our outline and begin to walk through what we're hoping to talk about this morning. The first thing in that outline just says the word trust. Trust is the core question of marriage. It is. And the question that comes out of our struggle with trust is simply this. Are you there for me? Are you there for me? The reality is that trust more than any other thing is the currency of our relationships. When your spouse or someone very close to you violates your trust, you begin to ask yourself to think and feel some very alarming things. Something like, you know, if I, if I can't trust you, who can I trust? And it can suddenly feel like the person you've trusted maybe for years starts to feel a little bit like an enemy and you simply don't feel safe anymore. That's right. But, but when you believe that your spouse is generally committed to the welfare and, to, and for the best of your relationship, you can trust your spouse with your heart. And isn't that what we all desire? I mean, I, I know that's what we all want to do. I raise my hand to that. 
So we want to begin this morning talking about two kinds of trust that must exist in every meaningful relationship. And the first one there being, and back to your outline, it says reliability trust. And so what we want to do is how do we build that reliability trust? Reliability trust is built in really some very practical ways. And, the, and, and it's when we share consistently in the responsibilities of managing the home or maybe caring for our children or following through with your commitments, being honest when it's hard and when a mistake has been made, handles <coughs> money and, par- and partnership, treats each other's bodies with respect, commit, communicates plans with one another, and admits when you are wrong. That's a, that's a great list of practical ways. And you know what, these are just some of the daily expressions of how we do this trust building in our relationship because it's gonna be essential in what we want in what we're calling this reliability trust. And this is what we'll do in helping to mature our emotional intimacy with one another. So what do we mean by this, honey? What's the idea about emotional trust? Well, you know, we, we talk about this notion of reliability trust, and what we hope to do with it is that it matures into a kind of emotional trust. So the next point in your outline, yeah. emotional trust is caring for your spouse's heart. That's yeah. just what we mean by it. You know, when I went into marriage, <laughs> I felt like the reliability trust thing, yeah. I, I felt like I, yeah. I kind of got that. I, I, I hope I can be trustworthy. Yeah. I, I'll follow through right. with my task. I, I won't be a chronic liar. Yeah. Right. You know, I'll help out. I'll, I'll do things that hopefully will allow us the sort of baseline yes. trust for one another. Yeah. But the truth is, when I got married, the notion <laughs> that there was this, this other dimension of trust yeah. that we call emotional trust, I'll just be honest with you, yeah. I never thought about it before I got married. I mean, the thought never crossed my mind, to be honest with you. I grew up in a home where even violating emotional trust, really, it never happened because there was simply no awareness of it in the house that I grew up in. In in my house, we lived in the realm of fact, opinions. That's just where, it's just where we lived. We shared facts and we expressed opinions. And it didn't matter if anyone necessarily even listened or understood what you were feeling or thinking behind your opinions. It, It just, there was just a lot of exchange of information. So the home I grew up in left me really ill-equipped to recognize emotional pain and the drift it creates in relationships. So I got into my marriage convinced that despite all the maybe struggles and fights we'd had, that reliability trust was going to be enough to see us through. Yeah, it was gonna be the glue. It was, it was, but however, (laughs) This idea of emotional trust was an idea, again, I hadn't understood or considered. So when we drifted, when we began to struggle, remember, Anne feels her way through the world. (laughs) When we began to struggle, I didn't have any language to even identify the drift that was taking place. Yeah, 
That's so true. And you know, I experienced that drift in, in our marriage very early in our marriage. And like Larry said, again, I wanna remind you, I'm a person that feels my way through life. And so, however, you know, um, I, I felt the emotional pain but I really didn't know how to react to it. I didn't know what to do. And so um, what I typically did is I shut down and what I did is I withdrew. I withdrew from Larry. And I never knew why right. often. I didn't know why. Yeah, we were not good she communicators. Was feeling our, she was feeling our relationship yes. and I was often oblivious to the withdrawal, yes. I just didn't know. Yes, and it became painfully clear early in our marriage um, that we continued to have just these repeated struggles with one another and we would have conflict with one another and we had this inability not to be able to listen to one another and to be able to seek understanding um, with what we're trying to communicate to one another. And you know what, what I want you to know, and I say this to you, this showed up in the small areas in our life, the very things. But what it did in this small area of our lives, it caused Larry and I to drift in a place of isolation. And honestly, when I got married, I never ever thought that's where our marriage would go. And you had a lot more understanding of what was happening. I just felt frustrated a lot. Mm -hmm. That's just the truth. So we wanna share, let me give you a practical way. We wanna share a moment with you in our marriage that turned sour very quickly in just a few minutes. And um, we, you know, and I think as Larry and I share this, we hope that you feel like you, we're all vulnerable. We're all vulnerable, these kind of moments in our, in, in our relationships. So it went something like this. Larry, would you mind helping me in cleaning up the house before our small group comes over tonight? You know, really, like the house looks fine to me. I, do you, like, you think people are coming over with a white glove to see if you've dusted and vacuumed? <laughs> well, honey, you know what? I, I, I realize that, but I just want you to, I want you to know that I feel better. Things are in order and the house is cleaned up and I'm welcoming the guests. And even that, I, I feel like my mind is clear and I can think better and I just feel ready. And yes, I do want the house. It's important to me that the house is cleaned up before we have guests come into our home. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but honestly, <laughs> I just, it feels to me like you're just worried about what people are gonna think about you if the house isn't just like spotless. Mm -hmm. You know what? I just cannot understand that you just can't <laughs> simply say, Sure, honey, I'd be happy to help you. What can I do to help you to clean the house? I know I'd do that if you ask me. And it seems like whatever I, whenever I just ask these small, simple things, it just seems like such a hardship to you. Woo. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you know, if you unpack that conversation just a little bit, and, and truthfully, that is the conversation that happened. That's mm -hmm. just what happened. And I, you laugh at the things I said, but I said them. And some of you said them too. And if you didn't see them, you felt them. At least I said it. And you felt it. But, but do you know what I did? You know, the first thing out of my mouth about, you know, people, what are people gonna think about and, you know, the white glove is that the first words out of my mouth were judgment words. Yeah, judgment statements. They, they, it was a judgment I made. Yeah. And, and so over the years, 
you know, I, I come to, I understand Ann loves having people in our home. And she's not worried about what people are thinking. She just wants to make an environment that is really welcoming and one that she's excited to present, if you will. And so I've come Thank to you. understand <laughs> that about her. But what do you think in that moment, in that season of our life, what do you think she did the next time she needed help? Mm. I didn't ask, right? We don't ask. And I did all the preparation myself. And I can even really honestly tell you this, I grew in resentment towards Larry. I grew great resentment. And these thoughts, I'm gonna be bluntly honest, I felt that Larry was lazy <coughs> and selfish. Those are the kind of thoughts that I had. But um, I think what really hurt me was the unwillingness that Larry was not gonna help me and that helped me with the cleaning. And really it was that it was because it was so important to me and he couldn't see that. So, so from that one, honestly, look back <laughs> at it, that silly thing, yeah. part of our emotional trust got damaged yeah. right there. She's not gonna ask me the next time. Mm -hmm. But so, I wanna stop here. Yeah. You know, in fairness, now I need to also look at myself. And you know what, I, I want you to know that I gave myself permission. I gave myself permission to hold Larry captive by me not by talking with him honestly. I withdrew myself from him and I wasn't willing to be able to discuss the hurt with him because why? I was not gonna go with, to, to have that honest conversation and I wanted to avoid the conflict. And that's where a lot of times our struggle really comes when we are just gonna say, I'm gonna avoid the conflict. And we need to be brave enough to be able to go, that, go there. So the, the bottom line is I felt misunderstood. I felt misunderstood and I, and I really didn't want to try to understand Larry. Does anybody else ever have a hard heart like that? And honestly, I thought I was right. <laughs> so unforgiveness and my self-destructive talk again, hurt our emotional trust with one another. And so I just wanna stop here and I wanna remind us, again, we damage, what we do when we do that, we damage the emotional trust between each other by simply not being willing to value and listen to the heart needs of the other person. It's so critical. So how do we grow an emotional trust in your relationship? Number two says there, this begins with a willingness to be emotionally available. You know, I want you to notice here, the key word there in that sentence is willingness. Maybe we need to say it out loud. Willingness, are we willing there? And this simply implies a desire to learn and to grow in this area. And you know, I want you to know that there are three, there are three realms of life in every marriage, in every marriage that we'll have to manage. And our commitment to all three of these are essential to be able to express the willingness to work with one another. And, this, and when we do this, we're gonna develop this emotional connection that we're trying to, to work on on a daily basis. And so what Larry and I call these emotional connections, we call this, call this kind of living back to back, shoulder to shoulder, and face to face.
And so let me give you a description of back-to-back. This back-to-back is a time, is the way that we just spend most of our time together, back-to-back. This is the everyday realities of life. This is again, reliability, trust lives here. And this is when, who's gonna be picking up the kids? Who's helping with the homework? <laughs> Giving them a bath? Getting them ready for bed and tucking them in? Who's cleaning the house? Making dinner? Washing the clothes? Doing the laundry and folding it? <laughs> who's paying the bills? When do you cut the grass, trim the, trim the bushes, clean the garage, you all right? We all get it, we all have those lists, right? But doing back to back is how we spend the huge part of our time together. And it's what we're doing is we're just covering all the bases. Just so you know, if I fold the laundry, she almost always refolds it. <laughs> so I want you to know that. <laughs> so the second part, second realm here is shoulder to shoulder time. And this is the companionship. It's the friendship part of our marriage. And you know, we don't get to spend near as much time here as we do back to back. We just don't. And this is, you know, whether it's traveling, camping, hiking, antiquing, doing a house project together, although... That's, can't imagine that that's actually fun, but some of you like that, you know, could be reading a book together, whatever, but, but we have to find these places and we have to craft time for the shoulder to shoulder part of our life together. This part where we're friends and, and that builds our whole life. So the third piece of this, we're going to call uh, face time, face to face time. And, and this, this is so so important and this of the three of them is the one absolutely most likely to get completely neglected you know what face-to-face time is you know you don't have to go literally do this but face-to-face time is when you look at each other and you say I love you you matter to me how are you doing really and you decide to listen. And you know, when you're like this, you can't have your phone in between us or an iPad or a laptop or the TV set on or anything. And that is about focused attention. It's about physical touch. It is about sharing what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And, and I will just tell you for me, you know, sharing what I'm feeling has been a lifelong journey to even learn how. I mean, for me, for years, it was hard for me to even identify a feeling, let alone talk about it. And that's just been, that's a 42-year-long project now that, you, that I'm still in. Yeah, and you're growing. Yes. <laughs> I am still shorter than you, though, when it comes to that. It does. So I want to make a proposal to you. I would suggest to you that if you would commit to spending one or two hours a week in face-to-face time, like actually connecting, actually checking on each other, listening to each other, expressing this willingness, this intentional willingness to be together for an hour or two a week. My proposal to you is that it will change or impact all the rest of your hours that week that you're doing the rest of life. Matter of fact, I almost promise you that that's true. And I just want to say that Ann and I would call this, someday I'm going to get a t-shirt made that says, be married on purpose. You know, if you're involved in this and you're married, you're, or even if you're in a serious relationship or a, have a deep friendship, 
to do it on purpose. Why wouldn't we? Why, why do we get married? And then all of a sudden one day just stop investing in it and then endure marriage. Yeah. Rather than let's know, let's, let's be married on purpose. Do you know there's not one area of your life that matters to you, that's important to you, that you will ever drift into success or significance. Mm -hmm. You don't drift into anything that matters to you. And you don't drift into a marriage that can fill your heart. Yes. So, you know, what we wanna do is we wanna spend the next few minutes that we have with you, and we wanna give you a couple tools to help enrich how to, how to grow this emotional trust. Um, and to answer that question, are you there for me? As we started earlier. <coughs> So number three says, sensitive responsiveness. It says in James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And you know, um, you know I think a spouse can, and listen to me very closely, I think a spouse can be thoroughly trustworthy and available, but not respond in a sensitive way. One husband puts it this way. I trust my wife with my life. I can count on her. She never wavers. She's home and she's available to me. But when I start to open up, all I get is a critical comment. That won't work. Don't do that. What are you doing that for? Why did you say that? And of course, at that point, I just stopped. So be sensitively responsive means you receive your spouse's innermost thoughts, feelings, needs, and desires readily without judgment. So important. Likewise, your spouse responds to you in a way that helps you feel understood, validated, and cared about. And you know what? I just wanna stand as Larry and I stand up here. Isn't that the hard work of relationship? It's hard work, but I do know that if we could work on that and if, if it was easy, we would all be, we could all say that we could be um, marriage counselors. We'd be great marriage counselors. Yeah. So it's hard. Yeah, obviously what we're talking about is very hard. It's the work of our marriage in a yeah. lot of ways. So healthy relationships require the management of hurt feelings. Mm -hmm. It just does. So I, I can't manage my own hurt feelings, let alone often even understand Anne's. I mean, I am better. I'm much better at it than I was years ago, but, but it's, yeah. it's just been a journey. It's important to learn to recognize the moments when a past, sometimes a past vulnerability, some hurt that's unresolved in the past gets triggered. And this happens because we didn't handle it the first time. So if you find yourself in a harmful pattern of communication that continually brings you back to the place where you feel stuck. Mm -hmm. And Ann and I have definitely had those things in our life where you have these repeated patterns of doing, resolving a hurt or an issue and you end up in the same place. What I wanna invite you to this morning is to disrupt the pattern. And, and some of you, the way to disrupt it might be that you go to a counselor, you check out our marriage ministry for a marriage mentor, you go to a good friend who you respect their marriage, or you 
Um, read a book together, but you do something. Take some step that disrupts and breaks. One, you know, it messes with this pattern that we keep getting into. So I want to encourage you that even as you seek help, even as you do that, mm. one thing I just want to encourage you to do in every relationship you yes. have with your spouse, with your children, or if you're not married with a, a trusted friend, never, ever stop asking yourself yes. this question. Are you willing, are you willing to let God change you? Yes. Because God yes. will change you. You know, this past year, you know, I, I'm thinking, honestly, to be honest with you, I think about my relationship with Ann a lot. Um, when I'm by myself, when I'm reading, when I read scripture, when I pray, I, I think about my relationships a lot. I think about my relationship with Ann. And this year, God's Spirit, in one of my quiet times this year, put four words on my heart this year, and they have been a source of prayer for me about me all year. And it was curiosity, kindness, understanding, and empathy. Hmm. Those four words. And I will tell you, all four of those words are a love language to Anne, and places that I need to continue to mature in as a man, as a husband, as a father, and as a friend. Yeah, and you know what's really been fun for me? Because I have seen that heart desire in Larry, and it has been fun for me to actually, when we are in conversation with one another, to look at him and say, hmm, I see that curiosity, that desire of curiosity, the prayer that you're doing, or, or understanding. And so just to be able to encourage Larry in that, that I'm noticing, um, and don't we all need to have that in our marriages, is be able to say, I notice that. Yeah, well, it's, and I just, wanna, I just wanna say to you that God's spirit is such a willing partner in our life yes. change. Yes. He is such a willing partner in our life change. Mm -hmm. We gotta ask him. Um, so how do we grow in our ability to respond in sensitive ways, like practically speaking? Well, the first thing is we need to take the time to clarify what it is you're hearing, which is hard, just a hard thing for me to ask curious questions. You know, questions are like crowbars. They, they really are. They, they open up conversation. And I mean things like, simple things like, can you tell me more? What would be most helpful to you right now? Do, do you want me just to listen and not offer suggestions? Are you hoping for some input to solve the issue? How did it make you feel when I just mm -hmm. said that? And I, I, again, I have to tell you, I might as well be learning like a foreign language to think this way. I, I, this has been a lifelong process to learn this. But one of the things that asking curious questions does is it helps you slow down, mm -hmm. help me slow down yes. this sort of more automatic response of making a statement about what was said, offering an opinion about what was said, as opposed to asking this question and inviting conversation. And that is just a, that's a new thing for me. And so what prevents us from slowing down and seeking understanding? One, old habits, right? <laughs> mistrust of the other person's intentions. That just tells us we have work to do. Unresolved hurts in the past. 
mind reading the other person's <laughs> motives. That's what I did when I accused Dan of worrying about what everybody thought about her if the house was spotless. Because I mind read her wasn't motives. Wasn't spotless. Yeah, it wasn't spotless, <laughs> yes. You know, and, and honestly, for, for me, if I take this back to my heart, I've understood over the years that sometimes that the core problem for me at being a poor listener is I don't have the humility to listen. Mm-hmm. I like to hear myself talk. Hmm. And that's just... So anyway, those are things to consider. Well, the goal in our communication is mutual. Like what what you see Larry and I going back and forth in this is we want to have mutual understanding. So we begin with these curious questions, but then we try to, there, look back at your outline, practice reflective listening. It says, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth from Proverbs. And you know what, this stops you from the urge to simply respond, like Larry said, with an opinion or just a thought. Let's look back down there what it says. It says, practice trying to really understand and restate what you think your partner is trying to say to you with questions like, is this what you were saying? Then restate again what you think that they have said or what you, they have, what you heard. And you know, I like this illustration of when, like, when you go through a drive-in at McDonald's and you order something, what do they do? They repeat back the order to you so you, they, you wanna make sure that they have it right. So then try to use I statements that help identify how, how you are feeling. You statements always sound defensive and attacking. Like you are putting a finger in someone's chest and we don't wanna do that. You know, this, this reflective listening thing Again, you know, I came into marriage thinking that understanding meant that I work really hard to make sure you understand me. That's what that meant to me when I got married. It's true. And, and so here's the thing I want you to take. If, if you've got a pen with you and you got one of those little programs, I want you to write your name somewhere on that little program using your opposite hand from your strong hand. So just use your opposite hand. Just write your name on there. So the obvious reality is that maybe there's a handful of you who are really good at both hands, but for the vast majority of us, if we're signing our name with our, with our other hand, it feels awkward. It doesn't look very good when you're done. And that is the way changing the way we ask questions, the way we choose to listen, the way we engage with our spouse in a way that's completely unnatural to maybe to who we've been for most of our life. So we have to take this weaker side of us and commit to develop some new things in us. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you're 25 or you're 65, God's working through it all. Right. So, you know, I was going to have a serious surgery and it was removing a bunion on the right side of my foot. And um, basically I was gonna be immobilized upstairs to one or two weeks. And then it meant crab crawling for one week. And then after that, it was gonna be moving for, to a walker for three more weeks. And then after that, I was gonna to have to wear a boot with crutches for another month. And then basically, I, it was gonna be eight weeks that I couldn't put any pressure on my foot. And so weeks before this surgery, I began to have some great anxiety about um, you know, how all my needs were gonna be taken care of. And the reason being is because you need to understand when Larry is sick, he likes to be left alone. That is not how I wanted to be cared for. 
And so we had to have a delicate conversation that went something like this. You know, honey, I need to talk to you about something as I'm thinking about the surgery coming up. All right, so share what's on your mind. <laughs> well, I'm concerned that I'm going to be up in bed all by myself. I might need some water, having some conversation. And I'm afraid that, you know, I'm going to be left all alone because I know this is how you would be like left alone if you were sick. Honey, you know that I'm, I'm going to do the best I can. Uh, there's a, I'm going to be juggling a lot of balls. I'm going to try my best to make sure your needs get taken care of. Maybe I can, I can uh, get some of your girlfriends to come over and sit with you for a little bit each time, each day or something. Mm -hmm. Well, I went down that road, and this is one of the few times <laughs> I saved myself. As I began to look at her face, it became clear to me I was going down the wrong path. <laughs> and so I actually caught myself, and I literally said, you know, honey, uh, you know, what, are you saying what you're saying is that you're simply afraid that you're going to be alone up there way too much and not, I'm not going to be able to meet your needs. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I am saying, what I'm afraid of. That's exactly it. Yes. So tell me what I need to do to, for you to have confidence that that won't happen. Well, can I just tell you just the fact that you are asking, asking it, it, it just relieves and gives Louis so much of the questions that I have in my mind. Mm. And so I just think, and it takes away a lot of my fear. Mm. So thank you. Yeah, you're I'm, I, Honestly, <laughs> that's the truth. Just yeah. asking makes a whole host of difference. Um, you know, and, and I told her in the response, I was, you're going to be surprised. I'm going to step up and it's going to be different this and time. And he did. And he did. <laughs> so the goal is listening to gain understanding, not agreement. And your spouse will become vulnerable to anyone who seeks to understand them. Mm. And this needs to be you. Um, every, you know, everything we've talked about this morning and in the previous mornings, honestly, if you brought it all back to one of God's like core goals, hopes and dreams for us as believers in Christ in relationship or husbands and wives in marriage, and that is to lean into unity. The end of Colossians 3, chapter 3 says, bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Marriage is the only relationship where if one of you wins, you both lose. Pursuing a more intimate union means wrestling with how radical this notion is that two people become one. This pursuit will often go against every fiber of our selfish being. Many of us want intimacy in the abstract more than we want it in reality. We want the benefits of being known and loved, but we hate the process of dying to ourselves that it takes to get there. You know, becoming one with Anne, this is what this means to me. I care as much about Anne's problem as mine, that I cherish her health and well-being and her pleasure as much as I cherish mine. And Anne would just flip this around for me. My spouse is not a servant to be used, but is part of me, and I'm a part of her. If I poison my mind with lust, I'm poisoning our marriage bed. If I get reckless with my wallet, I'm putting our financial security at risk. 
I cannot do anything that ultimately will not affect our marriage. So I want to actively seek out and serve the well-being of our union, our marriage. I would never put one shoe on and then walk out in the snow with no thought about the other foot that's left unprotected. So here's the unprotected foot would cause a great deal of discomfort and pain in the whole of your body. And that's the way our marriage works. If one of us is wounded, if one of us is hurting, if one of us is out is suffering, we suffer. When there's joy and there's, I mean, it's, it's this slow process over the course of a lifetime that God was determined to help us learn to walk in unity. That's the big goal of this whole thing. So we're gonna bring this to a close this morning and we're just gonna share the bread and cup with you here as we bring it to a close. And we wanna do this to the end this morning because I wanna take you for just a minute and you don't have to turn, but John 17 is the last prayer that Jesus prayed before he was literally getting ready to cross the Kidron Valley and go into Gethsemane and begin the events of the crucifixion. And Jesus knew better than any of us know that the brokenness of the world would cause, would be very difficult for his people to walk in unity. So towards the end of John 17, starts verse 22. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. He's about to go to the cross and he's left us, God left us two places for supernatural unity to take root. And the very first one in the Bible is our marriage. The second one is the church, which represents our whole community of relationships. And it's not, it, you know, we have an enemy yeah. of marriage and an enemy of the church and an enemy of God specifically around unity as followers of Christ. The very first thing Satan attacked in Adam and Eve was their unity as a couple. The enemy wants to destroy the supernatural love, grace, and healing power that God wants to give us through his spirit and that Christ gave us from his work on the cross. Hmm. So again, communion is a reminder that Jesus died so that the spirit could come and give us power and the resource to learn to walk in humility and forgiveness and a grace and honestly, to reflect the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Will you take the bread and break it, and then let's take it together. You know we asked you to break the bread because there was sacrifice involved. So as you take the blood, we are reminded that Jesus' blood was shed so that we'd be forgiven and that we would be like him and forgive others. You know, last week, some of you put a name on your head about somebody that you needed to forgive or to ask for forgiveness. And I just 
if you haven't followed through, as you take the cup this morning, renew to reach out to that person. Let's take the cup together. Father, our relationships matter. Would you help us find the courage and the humility to assume a posture of growth and change? Would you help us see that our marriage was intended to shape our character, teach us to love an imperfect person with a lifelong commitment, just the way that you love us? Give us the courage to see our relationships through your purposes, please, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys stand and I'm going to send you out of here. As you leave this morning, I want to send you out with the words that we read from Colossians 3. I just want to pray them or speak them over you. And if you pursue these, you'll be being married on purpose. Bear with one another, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues... Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of the weekend.